Welcome to Beyond the Board, a podcast that explores the themes and real-life inspirations behind our favorite games. Today we'll be discussing the game Betrayal at House on the Hill. Betrayal at House on the Hill is a horror-themed exploration board game designed by Bruce Glasgow and published by Avalon Hill in 2004. Betrayal at House on the Hill is for three to six players, and a typical game takes 30 minutes to two hours to play. Enjoy the episode. the intro that you were going for? I'm Mike Riemann. I'm Spencer Campbell. <laughs> this is Beyond the Board, the podcast. And today we're talking about... <laughs> we're talking about... Well, first of all, how are you? I'm good, Mike. I'm doing pretty good. We we're, uh, we're still hopped up on candy and coffee from earlier. <laughs> and uh, a lot of coffee. Feels real good. Yeah, the whole room's shaking for you too, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I know we're about to talk about a, a spooky game, but no, no, I think I this is think... just on, on us, right? Yeah, now. I mean, I usually get terrified for scary stuff, but I'm pretty sure it's all the caffeine okay. and sugar in my system. Cool, cool. God, there's so much sugar. So I guess we should talk about what we're talking about. Oh yeah, no, sure. We're gonna be talking today about betrayal at the house on the haunted hill. That is not the name of the game. You're right. It but... is betrayal at house on the hill. But so it's just a general house it's on the hill. It's a house on a hill, and there is a betrayal going on in this mm-hmm. house. Well, we don't know what the betrayer is. That's right. So that's kind of the whole point of this game, is it's a it's a sort of mystery game in which you all play as characters who are going into a house on a hill for some undisclosed reason, for the most part. And basically, it's one of those sort of dungeon crawling or tile flipping games where you reveal new rooms in an ever-expanding haunted mansion and as you walk around you kind of experience creepy things or you find interesting things along the way and eventually there's a sort of twist mm-hmm. and as you go through you pick up items or events happen in each room and they're not necessarily pertaining to anything just a general haunted house kind of things that happen like you see your dead body in a coffin in the middle of the room, and it freaks you out, and so you have to roll against it to see if you, if you're still saying sane or if you get hurt from it. But uh, what eventually happens is you can go into a room with an omen card, and the omen can be anything from a girl who's trapped, or a dog that you found, or a glass ball that uh, something's inside right. of it, like a like a snow globe kind of thing. And depending on which room you're in and which omen you pick up, different haunts will start. And what they call a haunt is what triggers this betrayal. Yeah, the 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 haunt. That's the that's the the fun part of this game is that you're you're always kind of expanding a mansion. So every time you play, it's a different mansion. It's new rooms getting built in a different way. But eventually, the haunt happens. And this is an event where whoever has kind of triggered the the haunt or whatever the haunt scenario specifies goes into another room. They read the rules specific to this haunt and. You know, it'll map out one of, I think, 50 different haunts that are in the book right now, while the rest of the players kind of plan out and figure out their strategy. And, I mean, these haunts can really range from a whole bunch of stuff. Yeah, they can range from anywhere from zombie demon lord to... Uh, like, like an ooze, like an ever-expanding ooze monster, slime monster. Uh, we did aliens the other night. Oh, really? interesting. Yeah, that was a little difficult to figure out because... There was only one set of rules that everybody knew, um, but it was, uh, yeah, it was aliens, and there was an, a disease that affecting everybody. Sure. Uh, or you can even have a friendly treasure hunt to where everybody's looking for a certain treasure and whoever finds it first. So it's not always a betrayer, but most of the time, more often than not, it's going to be some sort of betrayer. 
Um, and sometimes it's even hidden to everybody even after it starts. Like the alien mm. one was, was you didn't know who the betrayer was, only the betrayer knew, mm. which was really interesting because everyone had the little tokens. Sure. Yeah. So, the, so it's that haunt aspect, this this ever-shifting or you, you kind of... The haunt is dictated by the, the omens that you've collected mm-hmm. so far. And the omen that triggers the haunt were kind of set up and like you kind of use a, a reference table to figure out which haunt has been activated based off of the, the omen that's triggered it. And so between that aspect and the, the tile-building aspect of the game, every single time you play this, it's totally different. Mm-hmm. Even if you get the exact same haunt as you did from a previous session... The, the house is going to be very different from one another. The players that you're you're playing as are going to be different. They're going to be in different locations. They'll have different items on them. So it'll be it'll be a really cool, interesting experience no matter how many times you play this game. Mm-hmm. And the characters you're playing with, um, I mean, obviously your people you're playing with, but the characters specifically have certain names and different statistics. And it's very similar to an RPG to where you have like a certain speed or a certain like a mental um, strength. Stat. Yeah, and you have two mental stats and two strength stats, and it's different for every character, so that also affects how you play the game. Yeah, so it's it's a super fun game, and as you as we've kind of alluded to here, it's the omen that's the, the crux of the entire game, because mm-hmm. you're, you're going around and you're collecting these omens uh, that are either good or bad. Um, they're typically good when you first pick them up, but eventually the omen is going to be the thing that triggers the haunt mm-hmm. and so it, it ultimately ends up being a bad thing for you so you're you're, you're walking around so the omens are, the, are kind of the the key the, the alternative character that's going along beside the, the characters that you are playing as yeah and uh and with that being said uh i think talking about real omens would be a good idea so you understand kind of what they mean I think they kind of go a little campy in the game, very akin to um, uh, Cabin in the Woods. I know you haven't seen that movie, but it's a uh, they basically it's a company that's in charge of making these people have like a terrifying experience, mm-hmm. and they go into the basement and there's all these items mm-hmm. it's very similar to omens, and so you could find the music box with the ballerina or the diary of the one girl whose family was murdered mm-hmm. and whichever one they actually open and start playing with and read that's whatever that's what they activate that's what that's they activate horror scenario exactly so it's it's kind of the same idea yeah but an omen in real life can mean a bunch of different things it's it's generally uh an event or some sort of something that happens in nature mm-hmm. that uh can predict the future or or is like just something of something to come it could be a good thing it could be a bad thing um what's, but what's important to note about an omen is it it's different than a, a like a divination for yeah. instance because an omen is something that you could almost just stumble upon kind of like in this game you you walk into a room and it might just say you need to reveal an omen card and you just you you happen upon an omen these are the sorts of things that just exist in the world like a, a, a crow could be a raven or a crow could be a, an omen a raven could be an omen um so like a square and a rectangle exactly crow can be that, a raven, that's but a raven really, can't be a crow exactly. <laughs> <laughs> while a divination is an intentional attempt at trying to predict or see into the future an omen in, instead is a sort of thing that you just happen upon or experience and you use that as a means for trying to understand maybe some aspect of what might be coming mm-hmm. or it could even be a message yeah and that could be anything from like um 
celestial entities, mm-hmm. uh, meaning like you're looking up in the stars and you see a shooting star. And nowadays we know what that is, but back in the olden days they saw it. They weren't sure what it was. I mean, I think they they kind of had a name for it. Oh, it's a comet. Mm-hmm. But they're not entirely sure what it is, and so they see that as a forecoming of maybe good crops for the rest of the year or maybe it's the death of a king. It just really depends on who's seeing it and who's predicting it. Um, yeah, I mean, you have you have here on this sheet uh, the idea of an eclipse could even be uh, mm-hmm. an omen, and I mean, imagine how terrifying an eclipse would be if you had no idea what was going on. Suddenly, the sun is just being blotted out. It's gone out of the sky. The Where sun did it go? Gone. It's definitely not night. So why is this <laughs> happening right now? It's almost certainly some sort of doomsday scenario, is what I would assume. But yeah, uh, I'd start robbing everything <laughs> right away. But that's kind of your gut reaction on most terrible things. Yeah, pretty. What can I do? To uh, how can I get rich as fast as possible yeah. off of this scenario? <laughs> that's why I have so many um, cousins in Nigeria uh, mm. and, the, and the princes. Never mind. Forget about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so these these omens they come in all shapes and sizes. Uh, we see them uh, a lot in animals, for instance. Uh, in Oftentimes, it's just the presence of this animal, or even just encountering the animal, is enough to kind of trigger the idea of some sort of omen. Like, the presence of a crow in one scenario might dictate uh, maybe bad luck that's about to come on you. A lot of people see crows as kind of this maybe evil or mischievous sort of bird, but like in Norse mythology, the raven is related to Odin, and Odin is a god associated with knowledge, for instance, and so... It could be a boon, actually, if you see something like a raven out and about. Mm-hmm. But it could also be bad, because yeah. maybe Odin is pissed about whatever it is you've just done, and the raven's like, I see you, you know I'm going to go talk to the boss, right? Like, I, I have to report you on this. <laughs> uh, yeah, and I think uh, a lot of the times omens were used to keep people on good behavior. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but other other animals, black cat, that's a traditional one. People see a black cat, and they're like, that's bad luck, I shouldn't. I shouldn't go near that black cat, but I saw him, so something's going to happen. Right. Or or snakes or frogs or mm. um, groundhogs. Yeah, that's that's the interesting <laughs> thing. Is like It's easy to laugh at omens. It's easy to look at them and go, how silly, how preposterous that that's something that people would look at an animal and just assume some crazy thing. But we today have Groundhog's Day. We have this <laughs> ceremony that is regularly done every year to see, and we watch this animal, and we want to know, Tell us more, magic animal. Tell us how long winter will actually be. And he says, leave me alone. There's too many people out here. I'm going back in I my just, home. I just want to sleep. <laughs> I just want to sleep. So uh, Bill Murray's brother. Oh, no, that's the movie. Um, <laughs> uh, which is kind of um, Yeah, other things. Uh, rabbit's feet are good luck. So some people see them as good omens, even just rabbits in general, mm-hmm. um, as, as good luck omens. Um, Four-leaf clovers are something that happens in nature that people see as good omens. Even things like the formation of a cloud. Mm -hmm. Like, we, you know, it's fun as a kid to look up into the sky and try and see animals or interesting shapes in the clouds. But people used to do that and try and interpret that as maybe a sign of some sort of insight on maybe a battle that was coming up or whether a particular deed is the right deed to do, look to the stars or look to the sky for inspiration. Yeah. Uh, and like there are some pretty famous omens, but there are also, there's some common omens too that I want to talk about before we talk about famous omens. Um, that that I, I found I found a list of common omens, and mm-hmm. one of them would be if the flame of the candle flickers and then turns blue, there's a spirit in the room, and so to, uh, 
just a little omen like that. Uh, if a bird flies through your house, it indicates important news. If it can't get out, the news will be death. Oh, boy. Okay. <laughs> or if you feel a chill up your spine, someone is walking on your future grave, which you right. probably heard, heard that of. one before. Yeah. Um, a person born on Halloween will have the gift of communicating with the dead. That could be both a, a gift or a curse, yeah. really. A bat in the house is a sign of death. These all sound very down and dreary. Yeah, for the most part. I mean, you could communicate with the dead. Maybe you're trying to help them out. That's true. <laughs> yeah, you're right. A bird flies toward you. Bad fortune is imminent. If your palm cats. itches. Oh, if your palm itches, you will soon receive money. Hey, if all you, right. If you itch, your money will never come. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I itch way too often. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, there, there are these sorts of common superstitions that we have. Um, but there was a time where these things were taken incredibly seriously and they were used as a means of trying to understand whether or not you were about to do something, if whether or not you, you would succeed in accomplishing a task or if that task was even a righteous task or uh, even if it would just kind of be a barometer of how good you are at the time is the presence or um, disappearance of such an omen. Mm-hmm. And there's some pretty, some pretty famous ones that I saw throughout time um, like for instance, Alexander the Great, his death was sort of foretold because there was this long string of really bad omens that kind of happened, like birds dying at his feet. Like he would walk around and ravens would just be dying near where he had walked. Um, these animal sacrifices that would go wrong, like they would try and they would remove the, the organs of like an ox and it would have like, it would it wouldn't have like spots on it or the spots would be in an odd way. And so they would look at these really odd instances and go, well, this can't possibly be good. And <laughs> the, the assumption then was that those omens were foretelling Alexander's ultimate demise or near soon demise. Mm-hmm. That's, I usually do that every morning. I wake up and I look at the spots inside organs. Of I look at the, the animals. I look at the stains on the bottom of my coffee cup. Oh. And I try and figure out something in there. Trelawney. <laughs> Uh, another, uh, another omen, obviously I mentioned it before, but like, uh, the comets, Halley's Comet, when you think about it, it comes once every 70 years, is that what it is? So a lot of people saw that and a lot of people interpreted it as one way. Um, Harold II, uh, it struck fear in him. He, he was the ruler of, um, England, England. but William, the Duke of Normandy, uh, saw it and took it as a good omen, invigorating his troops. And he, uh, I mean, I can imagine just going out, oh, today's a good day to attack, basically. Right. And right on the other side of the water is, <laughs> oh, no, this is disastrous. <laughs> so it might be coincidence. But uh, but they really thought that these were predicting, not predicting the future, but like really just foretelling, hey, this is going to be a great thing. This is going to be a bad thing. Right. Um, ultimately, the Battle of Hastings happened that year, and... Yeah, Harold got killed, and, well, William took over. All so. because of Haley's Comet. Right. But it, it does show kind of the dual side of the omen, the the good and the bad. It's all in the eye of the beholder, mm, really. Generally bad, though. Yeah, especially <laughs> uh, based off of that common list that you were reading. Those are, And in this game, I mean, they start off so good. They, they It's like, oh, good, I got this dog. The dog will help me go find things around the house. And then suddenly that dog could in a future game be the thing that turns against you and is or the price you and now you're a werewolf exactly running around the house uh trying to bite everybody else and turn them into werewolves yeah so there's uh two sides to every omen mm-hmm. a, a good interpretation and uh not so good but the game is betrayal a house on the hill and so it is a house and that is something that is important you know you can't have 
the omens affecting everyone in the house without it being a house of random rooms Mm -hmm. and random corridors and hallways. Um, And that being said, uh, there is a real life house very similar to that to where there's never there's no specific rhyme or reason to it and that's the winchester mystery house in san jose and it was uh, built in 1884 um and it was uh it was owned by sarah winchester and sarah winchester was the husband or the sorry the wife of um the winchester rifle um, guy who 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 uh, started owned, the gun company. Yeah, started the gun company, Winchester Rifles. And the reason she started building this house was, in her life, she actually she had a she had a kid who died two weeks after it was born, mm-hmm. and then her husband eventually died, and the company went to her son who also eventually died. So she's left with nobody, uh, but with twenty million dollars and. Uh, half of the ownership of the company, which equals to about a thousand dollars a day, so she's pretty loaded. And she goes to Boston and she talks to a fortune teller, and the fortune teller basically says that everyone who was killed by a Winchester rifle will come and get you. And she's <laughs> like, "Oh no!" And she's like, "You gotta go." And so she flies to San Jose, um, flies. She g- travels to San Jose and starts building this house. And uh, and the house had no plans prior to her starting to build it. Yeah, I mean, she she a, a, a big part of this was this fortune teller giving her this terrible idea, and then she in her head she got very into to spirits and like felt a, a sort of connection to them, and she had it in her head that she needed to build a sanctuary for good spirits, and then a a place that would confuse and kind of deter all the bad spirits. Wouldn't it confuse the good spirits too? No, I I don't know how she did it. She must have sent out some sort of. Some good voodoo, some good vibes out to the certain good, spirits. Good but, spirits are smart. We all get it. But uh, yeah, it, it was this really kind of, it, it was a crazy house. It was it was gigantic. And like you said, it had no plans. She just kind of built it on a whim. It was uh, it was a mansion by, by every possible definition there. I mean, right now, if you go, you can still visit this house. It has about 160 rooms in it. But in its peak, it had well over that it were, there were estimates of between 500 and 600 rooms in this entire place and it was haphazardly built i mean we play betrayal and it seems really weird that the murder or like the dungeon is right next to the study that's a weird why design is the pentagram chamber right next to the conservatory right <laughs> well you had something very similar to that with the winchester house um she would just sit down and kind of plan a Plan the next days of the next room's uh, schematics of sorts and just said, here you go, go build this. Mm-hmm. And there was just a constant staff building. It was like 24 hours a day. Yeah. There was, there was always being built, except for there was one time there was an earthquake. And at that time, the Winchester house was seven stories tall. Like it just, she just kept going up and out and it covers six acres. So you can imagine like a seven story tall, six acre house. Um, if you ever like just google it but there's a nice bird's eye view of what you can kind of see and I, I couldn't really picture what this house looked like until I saw this picture uh, and you're like oh wow that's just it's it's massive uh, the scale of what she did I, I think in the statistics I thought this was funny that there was only one shower in the entire place there are 13 bathrooms but one shower but that's the thing is those bathrooms were fake bathrooms they were trick bathrooms so like not only was the house randomly, seemingly randomly built, but a lot of it was intended to trick bad spirits. And so there were fake bathrooms that, and she was specifically thought 
the bad spirits were going to try and find the real bathroom. And then on top of that, there were so many bedrooms, and she would sleep in a different bedroom every night mm-hmm. so that the bad spirits wouldn't, like, figure out her regular place where she would go to sleep. Most of the time, bad spirits, they wait in bedrooms for you to sleep. Right. So, yeah, that totally makes sense. <laughs> and she would have, like, mirrors in certain rooms because the, the spirits would be deterred by mirrors, but she couldn't have mirrors throughout the entire house because the good spirits needed to be there as well. So she had to find, like, this this balance that she she had figured out in her head that would be accommodating and yet terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, there'd be doors that she would just build into a wall, and it never even had a purpose for this door except for to be built into a wall, or stairs that go nowhere, or even rooms that used to be fully furnished, or they still are, and then they were just closed off. They are like, okay, close that door off, fill that in. Chimneys that would only go halfway up, um... I think there were heated rooms. Oh, yeah. The Hall of Fire. Hall of Fire. That's what it was. Yeah. (laughs) Which is just insane to me. It's just filled with fireplaces. It's just this long hall filled with fireplaces. It's just an incredibly hot spot. And there was a method to her madness, at least in her eyes. And the construction crews, like, there was no architect. There was no plan. It was just, all right, whatever you want, Mrs. Winchester. And they kind of just kept building. (laughs) Just pay us the money. We'll do it. Uh so besides deterring all the bad spirits, she did want the good spirits to be there. So she would throw uh, dinner parties um, for them, and and whole. I mean, she had her seance room where she mainly planned a lot of her stuff. So she was trying to invite all the good spirits in to this place. And I never read anything about spirits actually being in there. Yeah, it doesn't seem like the place is like a notoriously haunted place. Like it doesn't have that sort of repu- uh, reputation. Like other haunted old mansions do it just in her head she had this idea that she had an affinity with spirits and she needed to build some sort of spirit house but there's no like long-lasting tradition of like i mean people go there to investigate the paranormal but they don't go to this house like they go to other houses or other locations that are like notoriously haunted this Mm. is more of a a fun house of sorts yeah and it's it's designed people more go to it to see the the truly unique architectural planning of it rather than to try and be spooked. Mm -hmm. If you want to be spooked, you go to uh, other places. Yeah. Uh, And so this is a spooky game and it has spooky themes. Uh, And all the haunts are very spooky. So uh, we'd like to talk about the the Amityville house, Mm -hmm. um, which I feel like is an important thing to think about when you're talking about haunts. And not necessarily just creepy houses, mm. uh, because this one supposedly really happened. Yeah, it's it's based off of some. I mean, there. So there were ultimately uh, there was a book written about this, and then a handful of movies that came on later that were a, a supposedly true account of some paranormal events that happened in a house that had something very terrible happen in it. Mm-hmm. So uh, there was there were some murders, right? Yeah, for starters. Uh, in November 13th, 1974, Ronald DeFeo Jr., uh, he ran from or ran to a bar and was was saying that, hey, there's an emergency in the house. Uh, when everyone got to the house, uh, they found his parents and all his siblings dead and they're all shot with a rifle. And he tried to say, no, 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 it wasn't me. Uh, but then later was like, oh, no, I, I definitely did it. It's like once once I started, I just couldn't stop. 
Yeah, I put I wrote that quote down. I was that that chilled me right when, <laughs> when you read something like that. Like he, and it was a really half-assed alibi. He like tried to blame it on some professional hitman, and that person had a, an alibi, and he quickly crumbled. And it, it became clear that there was something wrong with this guy. That it was not just like it wasn't a freak accident. This was a something something switched in his brain. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so these murders happened. In November, like you said, and then a year later, a family moves in. The Lutz family move in. It's George and Kathy and, and their kids, and they move in December of 1975. Um, they didn't stay there long, though. No, they, they, were, they were there for 28 days. Now, they knew that there were, had been murders in the house. They were I think told that's about the realtor's it. job to tell you. I, at feel, least. I think you should <laughs> I think you should be obligated. But they certainly knew the reputation of the house, and that's why they sought out a, a Catholic priest to bless the house and try and kind of cleanse it of, of anything that might have been going on or, or wrong with it. And so there was this 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 man. They call him Father Mancuso in the in the the novels, but to to cover his real name. But then ultimately, they in in the decades since they have revealed his real name. But he was a priest that he went like and he have to go out and like seek his real name. Because, yeah. yeah, so it kind of protects him. Right. And they he, he he supposedly went and tried to to conduct these rites of blessing the house while the Lutz family is like off in another room. They're, they're unpacking, getting ready. And he hears this voice that basically tells him to... to get out. Exactly. And Maybe it was... It's, it, well, it was it was noted that it was a masculine voice that that told him to do that, oh. and he leaves. Um, and he leaves without telling the Lutzes. Like, Everything's fine. Yeah, my job here is done. Uh, you can send my check in the mail. I gotta go. <laughs> and so he leaves, and then he tries calling them the next day. Be like, oh, by the way, there was some some weird stuff going on. He just wanted to get as far away as possible. But while he's trying to make that call, like some static came on and the call got cut, was the as is written, and he never fully got to pass on that message. And then he like he got sick, he had these blisters on his hands, like he had stigmata. Like this guy got he got the raw end of the deal and he was only there for like a hand like maybe an hour. It's because he didn't say anything, that's why. Right. Uh, he was trying to help though. Uh though the family still moved in um, because obviously the priest never got to say anything to them. And so over the next, basically a month, over the next 28 days, really strange things were happening. They were having terrifying nightmares. Uh, they were they were feeling like somebody was always there, even maybe embracing, like hugging them. Um, they found cold spots, uh, weird smells with no um, source. Uh, there were sightings of a demon in the fireplace. Yeah, like the, the soot on the back of it had, was supposedly like half of a demon's face. Like half of it had been blasted away, but like half of it was a demon. <laughs> it's terrifying. Which leads so nicely into the next thing that happened. Yeah, so supposedly their their uh, their five-year-old had an imaginary friend. Um, and they perfectly normal thing to have an imaginary friend. Named Jody. Uh, named Jody, of all things. Um, that ended up being a pig. A demonic pig. Yeah, no, no regular standard pig. This is a demonic pig. It had uh, glowing red eyes. Mm-hmm. And uh, and they know this uh, because first they also uh, assumed, or they 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 actually saw cloven footprints around the house. Yeah. Uh, but it wasn't until George 
uh, saw the pig in her window uh, while he was outside his, his daughter's window on Christmas morning, and he actually saw this thing. <laughs> I can't imagine what you would do. Yeah, if he's, you, he's <laughs> out in daughters his with a lawn, pig demon. maybe grabbing the newspaper. He turns around, and up there in the window, her daughter's like looking out, or his daughter's looking out the window, and there's this demon pig with glowing red eyes behind her. And like, the mom ran into kind of the presence of the pig, too, when they thought there was a problem with. Uh, the, the the daughter going out the window, so she's closing the window, and the pig was there, like in the reflection. Yeah, it's just it was real creepy. That how how consistent the pig was in all of this is is interesting. Mm. And uh, it, it, of all things, a demonic pig was it was I think that was just so interesting to me. And the fact that they like they saw it was I think right. Oh God, why didn't that poor little girl? Like why didn't she run away? I feel like if I was that age and I saw a demonic pig thing, maybe it looked different for her. That's the that's the crazy thing about imaginary friends is like to the kids, it for some reason seems friendly to them because well, it's their friend, right? They're playing jacks, and then to everyone else it seems terrifying. Other weird things would happen. Green ooze would come from the walls. Probably yeah. ectoplasm seeped out of like the keyholes too, oh. like the playroom. It was it was pretty creepy. Uh. <laughs> rapid aging but only like seemingly right uh, George saw Kathy rapidly age 90 years in front of him she just becomes this like toothless old hag like with wispy hair and wrinkled bug a la, face a la um, Last Crusade yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what is happening to me it was and these are just like some of the things that happened to them over this 28 day period and so the idea is that they move in, these terrible things start happening, and after 28 days, they kind of give up. And they, they have a last-ditch effort. They try and bless the house personally. They don't, they don't call in another priest or anything. They try to personally bless the house two times. And the first time didn't work. And they, they apparently tried it a second time, and there's no recounting of how that one went. Because they, they, the Lutz family specifically said it was too frightening. And after that, they just got out. They were done. They were done with the house. They left. They went away. I think they stayed at one of their, like, one of their mother's houses for a period of time before the, the furniture could get moved out. And it was specifically mentioned that the, the moving people didn't, didn't notice anything. No paranormal activity for the moving people as they got whatever Lutz uh, personal items were still in there. But it was the family that, that... Um, experienced all this stuff and that's a part of that is linked to the whole controversy behind the whole thing because some of the facts and some of the stories behind this don't necessarily add up Mm -hmm. as with almost any kind of haunted house or or scary ghost story there's going to be some holes in it and that the the movers is one of them but the i mean there were there were there were trials there were people suing one another either for like you're misrepresenting me, or you're clearly lying. And it kind of went this back and forth between these, the Lutz family and kind of the, the author of the, the book and the, um, a whole host of people. Even uh, DeFeo's uh, attorney was a part of this whole whole process. And the, the, the house is kind of steep then in this sort of controversy of what's the real story and what isn't. Like, for instance, the cloven hoof, hoof prints. Like, they were supposedly hoof prints in the snow, but people have looked at weather reports and there was no snow. 
Mm. There was no snow at that house, in that location on that day that it was reported. So, you know, it could be a little bit of literary uh, creativity. Or... Or it's just a really fantastical family making the Elvis album. Well, yeah, and there was even a great quote about this whole thing. Someone saying, I know this book is a hoax. We created this horror story over many bottles of wine. So, you know, half of the party involved insists that it's a hoax, but the Lutz family, even to this day, especially George, is really insistent that a lot of this stuff did happen. Like, maybe there was some creativity in terms of how it got portrayed in the movies and in the books, but... He genuinely is convinced that there were some crazy things that happened in this house, and it there there's something off and something wrong about this place. Mm-hmm. There's what? definitely something <laughs> off and wrong about this place in this game. I mean, just look at this there, back room. There's like, n- yeah, there's no doubt that you're going into this place uh, <laughs> without something happening. Because you can't even leave, I think, in the game. In the no, game. you're not allowed to. No. There's also the other thing is they, they don't necessarily say why you're going into the house, but you're a cast of characters of, of an old man or an older woman or a younger man and younger woman or a little boy and a little girl. So you can be whoever you want, right? but there's really no reason why you're going in there. You can be a professor or you can be a priest or you can be a little child. <laughs> we like to think they're all buying a home, a dysfunctional family for the new century. Exactly. It's a modern family and they're at an open house that has gone terribly, terribly wrong. <laughs> Um, I think that is how we played last yeah, time. You and I, think I played that's how together. we play every time. Yeah, it's more fun. <laughs> so you got anything else? Uh, that's all I have for for some spooky stuff. Yeah, no, I don't got any more spooky stuff either. I highly recommend the game. The replay value is just out of this world because the 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 house is different every time. The omens are different constantly. The haunt is different. You're gonna get a lot of play out of this sort of game, and I mean. I think you told me an anecdote that there's someone who's been playing this game for so long and they still haven't even played through all the haunts that mm-hmm. they've played since the game first came out a long time ago and they still haven't encountered all of the haunts. Yeah, but just in case you have and, and luck is or the omens on your side, they did just release an expansion called Widow's Walk and I don't think we mentioned it before but there are different levels in the house so you can go ground floor, upper floor, and basement. Uh, this one creates an attic that mm-hmm. you can actually go into now. Um, when exploring the house, uh, but uh, but yeah, once uh, like Spencer said, great game, lots of replay value. But uh, if that's it, yeah, hopefully this has kind of inspired you to either play a spooky game if you like spooky stuff, then betrayals for you, or if you like betrayal, then now you have an idea of how the sorts of th- themes and interesting encounters that you have in here apply to. I mean, there's a real house out there that was built in this <laughs> wacky way, so. Uh, this sort of stuff is out there. Yeah. Uh, but uh, but if you like what we talked about and if you like uh, haunted houses or if you like exploring creepy rooms uh, or if you have any questions or comments, why don't you go ahead and email us at beyondtheboardpodcast at gmail.com or if you want to follow us on Twitter uh, at goingbtb or on Instagram at the same at goingbtb. Uh, you can see what we're up to there. Um, sometimes it's fun stuff. We do fun stuff. We're fun guys. We fun. don't always explore haunted houses. Sometimes we're eating sushi or riding trains or smashing things. Who knows? Who knows what we're doing? But if you want to know what we're going to do, go ahead and hit that subscribe button on iTunes. Mm. And leave us a good review, because uh, who doesn't like to be reviewed? Well, uh. <laughs> maybe some people don't like to be reviewed. 
Don't get haunted by this podcast.